Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. Fantasy has a way of stripping away the things that we're familiar with to reveal more universal truths. And it's able to take on some harder questions in that way and to deal with a lot of times it deals with this is what evil looks like and this is what we need to combat it. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Well, here we are again. Welcome back to the Read Aloud Revival podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. I think you're going to love what you've stumbled on. The Read Aloud Revival is a community of parents who want their kids to fall crazy in love with books. People who want to build up their family culture around reading. That's what we do. We talk about books. We talk about kids. We talk about books and kids and how all of those things play nicely together. Good things are just around the bend here at the Read Aloud Revival. A book list is in the works and is almost ready to be released. I'll tell you what, this was hard for me to make. It's not remotely hard for me to rattle off book recommendations. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) It's my favorite thing in the world when somebody asks if I have a book recommendation for one of their kids. But the problem with a book list is that there can only be a limited number of books on it. It's the choosing of what's not on the book list that is kind of agonizing for me. But the Read Aloud Revival team has been nudging me because you've all been asking for a book list. And so we finally have it just about ready for you. I think you're going to love it. We have some unique categories in our book list, like favorite books the whole family can enjoy, no matter what their age, or favorite series books that just might turn your reluctant reader into a voracious one. We've got middle grade novels, favorite classics, books for boys, books for girls, books for kids, books to inspire heroic virtue, short stories when you're crunched for time just tons of categories. And this is a living list. So it's one that we're going to continue to add new categories and new book selections to. It's not some, you know, hoity-toity, this is the book list from on high, but it's a living list. We're listening to our community. We're listening to all of you as you suggest book recommendations on our Read Aloud Revival forum or on the Facebook page or elsewhere in the comments of our show notes. We're paying attention. We're checking out the books and we'll be adding them to the book list. So it's truly a collection of the best from our entire community. The unique thing about this book list is that every book has been chosen for its read aloud appeal. You know, there's certain qualities that make for a better read aloud than a read alone. And that was definitely considered as we built this list. So anyway, it'll be ready for you in March. And if you want to be one of the first to get free access to it, you want to head to rarbooklist.com. All one word, R-A-R, like read aloud revival, (laughs) rarbooklist.com. Sign up to get it delivered straight to your inbox when it's ready. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest. 
Although those of you who hang out on the Read Aloud Revival forum probably already know her. Carolyn Leilaglu is a super reviveler. (laughs) She's the kind of book lover that many of us can relate to. Carolyn grew up exploring the worlds of Narnia and Redwall. Her taste in literature expanded in college, where she majored in English and graduated from the Tory Honors Institute, the great books program at Biola University, where she read everything from Plato to Dostoevsky. Carolyn lives in Texas with her husband and four kids. And when she's not busy homeschooling or wrangling her three-year-old, she's helping behind the scenes with her husband's pediatric practice and music site. Or she can be found blogging about children's books at one of my new favorite sites, which is housefullofbookworms.com. We'll have a link for you in the show notes. Her blog has been featured on the TV show SA Live, and she's been a guest contributor on Story Warren, which is another favorite site of mine. If you can't quite place why that sounds familiar, it's created by one of our favorite people here around here, S.D. Smith, the writer of The Green Ember. So yeah, Carolyn is definitely one of us, and she's here today to talk to us about something I have been dying to ask someone about, which is navigating the fantasy genre. So let's get into it. Hey, Carolyn, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're joining me, even though I sound all husky with my cold. I did not want to miss this conversation. So I'm really glad that you're you're here and we're doing it. Yes, me too. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your family before we launch in. Sure. I live in Texas, which is obviously a very important thing to say. I've got four kids. <laughs> my, my oldest is a 10-year-old girl, and then I have an eight-year-old boy, and then two more girls ages six and three, and that three-year-old I am wrangling all the time. <laughs> My husband, like I said, is a, or you said, is a pediatrician, and he's also a songwriter, and he writes the most beautiful songs, and that's part of why I fell in love with him. He's actually got a music site that's, it's just DemetriusLeilaglu.com, and if you can spell it, then you can get there. <laughs> so good luck. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> Your site is just packed full of really good book reviews, and I love the way you talk about books. You mentioned on your site that you've always loved children's books, especially, so First, before we even get into anything, I'd love to know what some of your very favorites are. Well, I can remember the very first book that turned me on to reading. I don't know if you remember the first book that you first fell in love with, but for me, it was The Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. And I think I read it in second or third grade. And then after that, I just started to love reading. I do remember my book about that age. It was Matilda by Roald Dahl. Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) So... After that, I read The Chronicles of Narnia, and those books just hooked me on the fantasy genre, and nothing else would do (laughs) at that point. So, you know, I loved, especially in elementary school, I loved the Redwall books. I read The Archives of Anthropos by John White, the Spirit Flyer series, and just couldn't get enough of of fantasy. (laughs) Okay, this is why I'm so excited to talk to you, because out of my three big kids, who are 14, 12, and 10, as we're recording this podcast, Two of them, the 12 and 10-year-old, are totally into fantasy. And I've never really been a big fantasy reader. I love Narnia, of course, because everybody loves Narnia. But beyond that, and The Great Emperor. Oh, that's the other one that I just absolutely love. But beyond those, I struggle a little bit. And I kind of feel like fantasy is one of those genres, or maybe not just one of those genres, but the genre that can be either the most transformational, especially on a spiritual level, or the most Mm -hmm. devastating as far as helping to create your worldview. And so it's one of those where I want to make sure I don't put the wrong fantasy into my kids' hands, but it's hard to do if I haven't read very much. So I'm really excited to hear more about that. But I'm curious to know what books set you up to appreciate fantasy. Definitely, like I said, the Chronicles of Narnia series. And those 
books just really, like you said, on a spiritual level, just have so much to communicate and so much that is actually able to be grasped by kids, which you'd be surprised how much your kids can really get out of fantasy books, like you said, in a spiritual way. Yeah. You actually have this really beautiful quote on your site where you say, I believe what children read is critical not only to their education, but also to their emotional and spiritual formation. Children internalize books. They identify with characters. They adjust their worldview. What they read is important. So, I mean, that just sums it up so beautifully. So how do you personally choose good fantasy as a Christian parent, keeping all those things in mind? That's a great question. And it's so true. When you read a book, you are behind the, that main character's eyes and you see things from their point of view and you experience what they experience. So I like to look for fantasy books whose values fit into my worldview as a Christian. So some of the things I look for are like heroes who choose to be selfless or who make hard decisions and choose what is right or choose to be kind and see the best in others. And I'm okay with a character having to grow into those virtues, but I want to see that there's evidence in that series of them moving forward and having a desire to grow. I also try to stay away from books where the protagonist is a bad guy. (laughs) I think that's a huge, huge issue. Or where the hero has some kind of character flaw that the book actually praises. So for instance, like the main character in The Golden Compass is praised for her natural ability to lie convincingly. So obviously I don't want my children to say, oh yeah, that sounds like a great value. I want to feel like this character. I also really dislike books where the siblings are constantly belittling each other. I feel like sibling relationships are such an important thing in our lives. So it's okay if they have spats as long as they come around to a solid relationship. Right. They're already but, um, hard enough on their own. They don't. We don't really need to watch that being modeled. And- this is very true. <laughs> yes. Or for them to think this is the normal. I'd rather them see that a good relationship is the normal. But overall, I think what it comes down to is for you and I as Christian parents to instill Christ-centered worldviews in our children. And that way, whatever they are reading, they'll be able to evaluate it through that lens. So I found this really beautiful quote from Elise Fitzpatrick from her book, Give Them Grace. I actually came across this on another blog, but I'd love to share this with you. It's, she says, we want our children to know and believe the one good story. Every other story is a copy or a shadow of this one. Some copies are quite good and shout the truth. Others speak only the faintest whisper of it or by its absence remind us of the truth. We want our kids to know the one good story so well that when they see Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, Frodo, Anne of Green Gables, Ariel, or Sleeping Beauty, they can recognize the strands of truth and deception in them. So I just thought that was a beautiful quote. And you're right. There's In every fantasy book, there can be profound spiritual truths, and there could be spiritual falsehoods. So a lot of it is the worldview that we've already given our kids and instilled into them to help them discern. Because a lot of times we'll be reading something and my kids will be like, have a reaction to it and say, no, that's horrible. Like, why is that in there? So I think so much of it is them having that foundation because no book you ever give them is going to be 100% the truth, right? I think one of the other things I've, I know that you've written about is how fantasy can be particularly helpful, like 
a particularly powerful way of helping our children understand truth that's in there. Can you explain that a little bit? Like, why is fantasy more valuable than, say, or valuable in a different way even than something like Little House on the Prairie, where things are very realistic? Sure. That's a really great question. What I think is that fantasy has a way of of stripping away the things that we're familiar with to reveal more universal truths. And it's able to take on some harder questions in that way and to deal with, a lot of times it deals with, this is what evil looks like and this is what we need to combat it. Those, those things that are spiritual truths, but wouldn't be things that maybe you run into in your mundane life or, or wouldn't be something that Laura Ingalls would deal with in her, her life on the prairie. I mean, I love those books. Those are beautiful books as well. But it just has this way of dealing with the spiritual truths. And I'll give you an example. So when I was a kid reading The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it because I know everyone's probably read this. <laughs> yeah. When Eustace is a dragon and he is trying to claw off that scaly dragon skin and he knows he needs to get rid of it and he just can't. He takes off layer after layer and he can't get rid of it on its own. And then Aslan comes and he, and this is not shown in the movie. This is, I, I, this is my favorite part of the book and they totally ruined it in the movie for me, but <laughs> Aslan rips it off of him. And I understood as a third or fourth grader reading this, like that's my sin and I can't get rid of it on my own. No one had to explain that to me. And so there's so many, I mean, Narnia is just full of those kind of spiritual truths and those truths of like who Jesus is. Or another example is, I don't know if you're familiar with the Spirit Flyer series. This was one of my favorites when I was a kid. I'm not familiar. It's by, I think you pronounce his name, John Bybee. He actually also wrote the Homeschool Detectives mysteries. um, I don't know those either. Which are also rather fun. Okay. (laughs) And I think he's still around. So he was writing these when I was in elementary school. And they're really kind of a metaphor that this kid finds this magic bicycle. And it's really, no one had to explain this to me, but it's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And it's, it may not be like the most like profoundly well-written story, like as some of the other ones that I love. But as a kid, I really, they're very engaging stories. The evil is pretty evil. But I mean, it really is this metaphor that is accessible even to kids. And I feel like you know, how Jesus taught in parables, there's a reason. It's because stories teach you something in a way that you can know on a, on a level other than just intellectual. I mean, I like intellectual stuff. I like thinking about things, but it, stories show you things on an emotional level. And so I think even if someone would have explained to me like, oh, you have the sin and only Jesus can take it away, I wouldn't have understood it on that visceral, emotional level that the story gives you, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It reminds me a lot of, have you read The Mysteries of Life in Children's Literature by Mitchell? No, I have heard someone else say that title. So I obviously need to <laughs> pick okay. that one up. Yes. You know who turned me on to this book is Andrew Pudua at the Institute okay. for Excellence okay. in Writing. And then it was out of print for a while, but Newman Press just brought it back into print. So now it's available. Okay. And in it, he really makes this case for how stories are the best way to help our children encounter those really deep mysteries of life, way better than having you know us all sit around and talk didactically about growing in a certain virtue or how to be courageous. That doesn't inspire that virtue in your child, like you know, like reading Narnia and wanting to live out the heroic virtue in the characters, or reading The Green Ember and wondering to yourself 
if you would be able to be as courageous as Heather. You know, it just doesn't, it's not the same as having your child sit down or your parents sit down and say, let's talk about courage. Let's think about some people who have been courageous. What could we do in our life that would be courageous? It just reaches you on a deeper level. I think someone else who made this really clear to me, the power of stories to really transform and shape our children on such a deeper level than anything else we do is Sarah Clarkson in her book, Caught Up Mm, in a Story. I love that book. (laughs) I do too. I do too. And it really, she does such a beautiful job of explaining really what stories did on a deep and profound level that she she wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason for that is that when you're reading a story, it's really like you're experiencing those events. And, you know, everyone knows experience is the best teacher. But when you're a kid, you don't have all these opportunities to be brave or do these great things. And so reading a story gives you that opportunity to live it through someone else's eyes and really to prepare you for life and, you know, to be brave in whatever situations you encounter, to be someone who can be kind or whatever it is, whatever virtue it is that hero is showing you you've lived those hard decisions in your imagination. And it's really almost as good as experiencing it yourself. Right. So you've already got the practice, really. Exactly. Well, I have this passage from Caught Up in a Story. It's from the introduction. She says, I'm convinced that the story form childhood my parents gave me was one of the greatest gifts I have ever received. And this book, the book I'm holding in my hands, <laughs> has come <laughs> from my deep commitment to help other parents give that mighty gift to their own children. She says, she goes on to talk about parents today are often presented with a list of facts and skills they must pound into their children's heads. Childhood formation, according to many models, seems to be about filling mental bucket rather than forming a whole vibrant soul ready to act justly, love beauty, and bring goodness to the world. Then she says, stories are the lifeblood of existence. They are the heartbeat that pumps vision into a child's developing imagination and hope into his or her soul. A story-formed child views life as an epic tale in which he or she must live as hero or villain. I that's love beautiful. That. It's just I beautiful. <laughs> makes me get all goosebumpy. Like, that's the vision. <laughs> it, yes, exactly. And I think, you know, what you were saying about how we have this focus on we want to teach our children. And, and I think even more so today when there's this huge focus on STEM education, which is great, but I think that it causes us to think, oh, well, those, you know, books or especially fantasy, that's just fluff. There's nothing to it. But I would argue that especially in fantasy, it deals with those big ideas and kids really are able to grasp them, like I said, in my own experience. But I don't know if you saw, there was an article recently in Christianity Today, I think it was this month, and I think it was titled The Christ Haunted Hindu. And you should put a link to this article. It's just beautiful. This woman, I I don't remember her name, but she's actually now a children's author herself, but she grew up as a Hindu and she read all these books that were influenced by Christianity. And they weren't all fantasy, of course. They were, um, it was like The Secret Garden and Little Women and then the Narnia books, of course. And she talks about how those books prepared her to later meet Jesus as an adult. She said she didn't realize, but he'd been calling to her all along through those books. And I just thought that was just amazing because I just had my own experience to go on before. Like, this is me as a Christian kid. This is, you know, what I got from these books. But as being raised as a Hindu, this is what she got from these, from Narnia and from these other books. And I just thought that was really amazing and really 
you know, impactful. And that it's so important that we don't leave story out of our children's education and think that it's just fluff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or extra, something they do when they get all their real work done, you know? Right, right. Okay, so let's talk a little about, a little more just about the fantasy genre in general. Have you heard Andrew Putua talk about the four different kinds of stories? I love, yes. Okay. I love that lecture. (laughs) Okay. So inside Read Aloud Revival membership, Andrew Putua taught a masterclass called How to Shape Your Child's Moral Imagination. And he's basically talking about how fairy tales or fantastical tales help to form your child's character um, as they get older. And he talks about the four different kinds of stories, a whole story, a healing story, broken or twisted. Gosh, would you remember like descriptions or examples of each yes. one? Okay. Oh, that I do. Good. Yeah. Good. So, <laughs> <Take it away. laughs> all right. So, a whole story is a story where good is good, bad is bad, and good wins. So, an example would be like Cinderella. Healing story is where good is good, bad is bad, but good doesn't win in the way you thought it would, but there's redemption in the end. And so, like a fairy tale example would be the little match girl. And then a broken story is where good is good, bad is bad, and bad wins. And I think the example I'd heard him give was Lord of the Flies, which I haven't actually read myself, but yeah, we'll spare I don't really want to hear read another <laughs> bad wins. Yeah. And then a twisted story is where good is portrayed as evil and evil as good. And he didn't give an example. I I, I feel like maybe the Golden Compass books might fit into there. I, That's those awesome. are, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I haven't read them either. I've read some summaries of them. Have you read them? I've read them, yes. Okay. And I will say Philip Pullman is a masterful writer. And he really, he set out to write the Anti-Narnia is what I've read. And he did. What I've thought about them is that I would maybe read them with my kids in high school and talk about them. Because you know, talk about how deceptive evil can be. And so this is the book where the girl, you know, is praised for her lying. (laughs) And I, so if no one wants any spoilers, hit the mute for a minute. But basically, by the third book, the children kill God accidentally by letting him out of his box and he just disintegrates. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I mean, (laughs) it's pretty, yeah, intensely, you know, non-Christian. And that's not even all the problems I have with it. But it is amazingly well written. There's a lot of literary illusions in it. So it's really interesting how powerful of a series it is. And um, so you're right. It's so important what the kids read. So yeah, that would probably be under the twisted stories. So of course, with younger kids, you're going to want them to aim for whole stories where good is going to win and that's going to reaffirm their worldview. I mean, that, and that's what we believe is that good is going to win in the end. But I think to me, the most powerful type of story is the healing story because that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? It's good wins through a way that you didn't expect that Christ <laughs> yeah. is going to have to <laughs> No yeah. one expected this, right? So I think those are the most powerful stories generally. And speaking of healing stories, I know that you've mentioned that you are reading <laughs> the Wing Feather Saga books. Yes, it's taking us a long time because I have been a very undisciplined morning time person. But we are <laughs> reading the Wing Feather Saga. Yes. 
where are you in that series? Okay, right we're now? still on the first book, but we're almost to the end now. So we're okay, in the dark, okay. at the edge of the dark sea of darkness. Yeah. Okay. So that series is somewhere in between whole and healing, I would I would say. And it is a very powerful series. And if you can get through the first book, I promise you will love the rest of the series. <laughs> well, you know, it's I funny. Love- my, my 12-year-old's read them all twice. Oh, and um, wow. so when I said I'll read them aloud to everyone, because my oldest daughter won't touch fantasy unless I read it aloud, basically. She just is, she just won't ever pick it up on her own. She'll read, it's not that she has a disdain for it. She just will tend toward other things unless I assign it. And so I thought, okay, I'll read this aloud. My son hasn't read them yet. And so I'm, I'm reading the first one and she is like jumping out of her skin, you know, as everything's about to happen. And I, t- I have this sort of philosophy that I'll read the first book in a series out loud. And then if uh-huh. you want to keep on with it, you have to read it on your own. And she's insisting, mom, you have to read the rest of them out loud. They only get better. <laughs> Sarah, I am going to insist that you read them all out loud because I am going to tell you that this is our favorite family read aloud. And I read the books first and then my husband read them aloud to our kids. And literally he would finish the book and we had it on Kindle too. And the kids would immediately go pick up their Kindles and start reading the book that he had just finished. Oh my gosh. these, These books are just immensely powerful and there's so much in them. There's so much beauty and truth in these books. And I don't know if you knew that the author, Andrew Peterson, who's actually also a songwriter. Yes. Did you know this? And he, yes. his music is just beautiful and also full of truth. And I've been um, trying to get him on the podcast. So maybe we can all oh, put a bunch please, of peer pressure on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe an uh, author of it. <laughs> that would be even better, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So do you have yeah, any, I've, have you written about the Wing Feather saga on your blog at all? I haven't because I hadn't read him real recently when okay. I had started the blog. So I hate to write about stuff that I haven't read real recently. So, but obviously it's a goal too. I think I've probably mentioned that, but I haven't written strictly about it. Yeah. The Wings okay. Saga on its own. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We wanna take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also gonna share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Okay, so my struggle as a parent who hasn't read a lot of fantasy and doesn't have the, I don't have the ability to always pre-read before all my kids, especially because they're all voracious readers and they're all reading (laughs) in different genres. So how would you recommend a parent like me 
figure out which fantasy books to hand to my fantasy lovers to make sure that they're whole or healing stories or mostly whole or healing stories? Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard question. And I, I face that as well because I can't re- pre-read everything either. So, I mean, the best thing is if you do have trusted sources that you can go to and other blogs that have good lists. I do a lot of previewing with audiobooks while I'm washing dishes or whatever. <laughs> and I can listen to something on a faster speed and maybe see if that's that's appropriate. But like I said, what I'm looking for is for that hero to be someone who's acting in a way that is consistent with my worldview and being a, a good role model for my kids. Okay. So, and I will, I want to mention definitely for our listeners, if you head over to housefullofbookworms.com, you can sign up at the top right. There is a place for you to sign up to get Carolyn's book list. And you have a lot of fantasy recommendations on there. I do. It's probably a little bit fantasy heavy because that's, uh, those are my favorite, but I have books of all kinds on that list for every age. Yes. I was really (laughs) happy it was fantasy heavy because I thought, yes, I totally need. So I was really happy to get it. It's, and I've done my desktop. Yeah. I do update it every now and then when I find new books that I really love. So, and then I know in Honey for a Child's Heart by Gladys Hunt. I know she has a chapter. It's a short chapter. There's only probably 15 recommendations or so in there for fantasy recommendations. Do you ever reference these books? Occasionally I do, not super often, but I should probably do that more. (laughs) Yeah, I've got her whole series and so I do reference them quite a bit. And then we're creating a book list at the Read Aloud Revival. It won't be ready until next month when you're hearing this, but we are working on a book list and I am just trying to glean the best sources from brilliant people like Carolyn for your fantasy list. But I think that's always my favorite, my best advice too. When people say, I don't know what books to hand my kids, is like, you can't know every book out there and you probably can't pre-read them all. And so finding some really good book list sources is always such a good strategy. Yes, absolutely. That's part of why I started this blog because I feel like if I'm out there telling other people like these are the books and then other people are doing the same thing, maybe together we can <laughs> yeah. we can pre-read enough of those for our kids and be able to give those great recommendations. Exactly. You know, that's actually how I found The Green Ember was mm. I was poking around on Story Warren's site, reading their articles and really just getting excited about this vision they were painting for how we can cultivate our children's imagination through stories yeah. mm-hmm. and thought, I'm just going to check their store and see what they recommend and saw that just, I don't know, the month before or something, S.D. Smith had released The Green Ember. And I thought, oh, it's their book that they're like, they're making. I'm going to buy it and see if it's any good. And (laughs) was it any good? Yeah, that's kind of an understatement. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Okay. So let's see. What else did I want to ask you? I know. What about starter fantasy books? So like if we could just give our listeners some really a quick shot in the arm, like maybe if they've got young kids or if they've got middle grade kids or they've got kids who are teens or what fantasy books could you recommend kind of climbing up the age ladder for them, you know, just throwing out some of your favorites, maybe that they can go, hey, my child doesn't listen to that yet. We'll grab that one next. Yeah. Well, that's my favorite subject. So <laughs> for younger kids, actually, I we just found this. It's actually a picture book. And you may have heard of it because they mentioned it on Story Warren as well, but it's a, it was a Kickstarter book and it's called Ellen and the Winter Wolves. And it's longer than your typical picture book and the artwork is just beautiful. But so that would be something I would consider maybe a starter fantasy story. And now for parents with any of these fantasy books, I think you need to be aware that for sensitive kids, fantasy may not be the right genre because sometimes there's 
fantasy deals with hard questions and real evil and and all of those things. So as a parent, of course, always be aware. I have to say, though, something that surprised me about my 12 year old is that when she was little, she really young, she was my most sensitive child. We would watch Winnie the Pooh and she would literally sob when Winnie the Pooh got stuck in the honey tree. Oh no. This is my most uh, ravenous fantasy reader now. And she can tolerate really scary, you know, like Hundred Cupboards by Nate Wilson. Yes. Um, Oh, I I love it. At first, it just totally, yeah. (laughs) Uh, He's somebody else we need to get on. (laughs) I was just thinking, gosh, you know, that doesn't make any sense. There's my most sensitive child until I thought about how. Getting stuck in a honey tree probably feels like a very real possibility for a three-year-old, <laughs> and that's really scary. And maybe the the problems that, that she's encountering through these fan, of course, she's older now, but you know the the problems that the characters are encountering in these fantasy novels are so fantastical that it's a way for her to sort of encounter these big ideas and evil and good and good triumphing over evil without it feeling like something that might happen to her. I don't know if that's, I'm just totally reaching there, but. That makes a lot of sense. And I will say I was that sensitive child and that Nancy Drew books were too scary for me when I was reading these fantasy books with real evil. And those did not bother me. I was reading Redwall and, you know, the Magic Bicycle, all these ones. And Mm -hmm. I could not read Nancy Drew. They gave me nightmares. Yeah, it felt a little bit too (laughs) close to home. Like this might actually happen to me. And I'm not okay with that. Yeah. But in most fantasy books, like, you know, that good is going to triumph in the end. And so it's somehow like you can deal with the scariness because you just know that it's going to be okay. And so (laughs) back to your first question about some fantasy books. So younger kids, I would recommend Ellen and the Winter Wolves um, as a, a picture book, actually. And then for younger kids, I would go with the classic authors. So George MacDonald, you got The Princess and the Goblin, The Light Princess, those kind of books. And then Edith Nesbitt, The Book of Dragons is a great one with short stories. It sounds like it'd be scary. It is not scary. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, it's kind of interesting. Edith Nesbitt was actually one of the influences on C.S. Lewis. She has a short story called The Aunt and Amabel where the little girl goes through a wardrobe to a magical world. And that was actually one of the influences for Narnia. But Really? Yeah. Uh, I did not know <laughs> it's that. It's a very, very short little, little story. Maybe like you could read it in 20, 30 minutes. But okay. And then for a little bit older elementary schoolers, I probably... the same re- author as... Sorry, I'm interrupting. That's the same author <laughs> as um, The Five Children in It, right? Yes. Okay. And Railway Children. And yeah, yeah. she's got a lot of realist... She's realistic fiction and then fantasy fiction, okay. both. They're both great. I'd recommend pretty probably anything by her. Okay. <laughs> so uh, for your elementary schoolers, I'd recommend, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia. You got to start with that. Whatever age you are, if you've not read Narnia, you have to re- read that. Yep. First. I agree. And the Green Ember, of course, that's not made my list. Where the Mountain Meets the Moon is a really nice, great story. Nothing really scary in it. So it's great for elementary schoolers. And it's also got a female protagonist, which that never bothered me as a kid. But for my daughter, I know that's real important for her to have books with female protagonists. Yeah, yeah. There's the Wilder King trilogy by Jonathan Rogers. Which oh, is I have that on my shelf. I haven't started it yeah. yet. It's a retelling of the life of King David in fantasy swamp setting. <laughs> okay, I did uh, not realize that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
The Spirit Flyer series, like I said, I loved when I was a kid. And then the Archives of the Anthropos. I don't know if you've heard of these books. I think the first one is The Tower of Gabura. And it's a Canadian author. And it's kind of a similar idea as the Chronicles of Narnia, where the kids start off in the real world and then they go to this other place. So those are great. So maybe for your middle grade readers, these are going to get more intense. I would say the Wing Feather Saga. Some elementary, we read it to our kids in elementary school, but there's so much in there that I think you, the ideal age is probably more a middle school age. And that's my number one read aloud recommendation. Then Indy Wilson's books, especially the Hundred Cupboard series and then the Ashton Burial series. And I just heard he has something new coming out really soon. Oh, I haven't heard that yet. Okay. Yeah. Andrew Peterson posted it on his page today. So I'm like, oh. And then the Redwall books, of course. I've also started to really like this author, Jonathan Oxier, and he has some really well, very well written fantasy books. I will say that about Andy Wilson too. His writing is superb. But so is this guy, uh, Jonathan Oxier. So Peter Nimble and His Fantastic Eyes and The Night Gardener. And so those, both of those are pretty in- intense. They're probably better for middle school audience. And then for girls, the Land of Elion series, I think I'm saying that correctly. It's by Patrick Carmen. So again, a female protagonist, which is really great. And then for your high schoolers and older is there's the Circle series by Ted Decker. Oh yeah. And then mm-hmm. any of uh, Stephen Lawhead's books, he's a really fabulous writer. The Monster Blood Tattoo series. I know that sounds really sounds terrible. <laughs> horrible. Not, it's really not. It's really interesting series, kind of looks at what it means to be a human. It's very well written. And the author, he does a lot of word play. It is very, very interesting. One of my, my brother recommended it to me and it's both really enjoyed that one. Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis is just fabulous. And then The Aurelia Thread by Jeffrey Overstreet and maybe The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton. Okay. So if you're listening to this list and your mind just exploded... <laughs> <laughs> or you're trying to like stop folding laundry to scratch these titles out, you really can just go to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 41. And we'll have all the links to every book that Carolyn just spouted off <laughs> for you there. So you don't have to try and remember. And then remember that you can always go to housefulofbookworms.com to get her book list downloaded, which would be super helpful. What about moms and dads who would like to do their own fantasy reading? Yeah. So hopefully I have convinced some people that fantasy is worthwhile. And maybe if you're starting out, my favorite is Till We Have Faces. Have you read this, Sarah? I oh, didn't. I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. I had asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember S.D. Smith mentioned it as one of his... Uh, he did. That he, he would be on an island. <laughs> yes. And I remember being like, I'm going to read that then. And I, I don't think I have. <laughs> Okay, put it on your list. Okay, so it's okay. beautiful, beautiful retelling of the myth of Cupid and Psyche. But C.S. Lewis weaves in this beautiful Christian imagery. And it really takes a look at the ugliness of our souls and at redemption. So I highly recommend that book. And then another one that I think other moms and dads might enjoy is the Aurelia Thread. I just mentioned that for high schoolers as well. And it's really about mystery, light, beauty, and what it means to be human and our longing for heaven. And then the third one I would say is if you haven't read the Anarnia books as an adult, you really should. Oh, you mean like even if you've read them as a child, you need to reread them as, them as a child and you've not read them as an adult, you should. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. If you had to choose, this is a horrible question, 
to ask someone like you who's just listed all of those books that you love. If you had to choose your three favorite fantasy books of all time, like let's go back to that deserted island question I used to ask all the time, but you get to pick three fantasy books to bring with you. Oh, what would they be? I will actually tell you this was not a hard question for me as oh. long as I can count a series as a book. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Still only cheating a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I would pick Till We Have Faces. Okay. The Wing Feather Saga. Okay. And The Chronicles of Narnia. I knew that was going to make it in there. Okay, <laughs> I just put Till We Have Faces in my Amazon cart and I'm clicking right. buy now on air <laughs> so you all can hold me accountable. I will read this book. <laughs> awesome. That's wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much, Carolyn. This has been wonderful. Let's sure. tell everybody where they can connect with you, the best places they can find you, maybe about your Facebook page and then a little bit more about your, what you do on your site. Well, of course, you can find me at housefullofbookrooms.com. And then on Facebook, if you just type in Houseful of Bookrooms, I will be there. You'll find me. And on my site, I do a lot of book reviews. I post one every week. And I, obviously, it's a little heavy on the fantasy. Um, but I do post other book reviews and I also review a lot of picture books because I have, you know, a six and a three-year-old and we're still all reading picture books together and really enjoying those. So, so it, listen, guys, if you're just heard her say that, that she posts a lot of fantasy reviews, if you're in a position like I am where you need somebody trusted to do a lot of fantasy book reviewing for you, then you need to be subscribed to her blog because that's, that's exactly <laughs> what we're looking for, right? So when I realized that she does a lot of fantasy book writing, it was a huge sense of relief for me because I thought, okay, this is going to be so helpful. So yeah. And then on your Facebook page, you also share other things from around the web that, that you find interesting about books and authors and kids reading, right? Absolutely. And I know I've shared this podcast multiple times with my readers. <laughs> awesome. So you can find that at facebook.com slash houseful of bookworms. So perfect. I'm so excited that you came on. I've been so grateful. This has been a conversation I've wanted to have for a long time. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Well, thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Jude. I'm from Texas. And I love talking to when I'm four. And what's your favorite book? Frog and Toad together. I just love it because it, they eat so much cookies and they can't stop. Hi, my name is Eva and I'm free. I live in Portland. My favorite book is Chronicles of Nonia. I have a skirt that is Susan's. And Luke, he's the same, and I really like it. My name is Eva, and I live in New Carolina, and my favorite book is Katie and the Big Snow. My name is Grant, and I am six years old. I live in Alabama. My favorite book is My Father's Dragon because of the characters and the adventures. Hi, my name is Levi and I'm five and I live in Warsaw, Poland. And my favorite book is the science book, Wild Places, because it has 
mountain, jungles, and desert. Thank you, kids. Fantastic recommendations today. I'm Audrey, Sarah McKenzie's 14-year-old. And I'm Allison, her 12-year-old. We pretty much took over Mom's mic. Would you believe it? Our mom's voice went completely out after recording this podcast. So that means she can't record this outro. And she can't scold us. Score! So, kids, we wanted to tell you, the Let the Kids Speak part of the podcast is everyone's favorite. If you're listening and had a chance to record your own favorite books yet, pinch your parents and tell them to help you. It's really easy, even if you're not techie. And you don't need any special equipment or anything. You can write down what you want to say at first and then read it. You can repeat it after your parents or you can fumble your way through and do it all off the cuff. Yep. Go to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see the button to click to get started. Our mom will be back with another episode just in two weeks. If she has her voice back, that is. (laughs) Remember, you can find show notes for all the fabulous book recommendations shared on the episode at readaloudrevival.com. And don't forget to sign up to our new awesome free book list at rarbooklist.com. We helped make it so we know it's awesome. Until next time, go build your family culture around books.